So Revelation 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Uh, Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we Thank you uh, for your word, and we, uh, we need you to help us understand it. Uh, as we read this revelation that you gave to your Son, our Savior, and we read that you are the one who was and is and is to come, and that, Jesus, you are coming. You are Alpha and Omega, and you are coming to make all things new. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, this morning to connect our lives with this reality? which is our reality, which is the ultimate reality that everything is moving toward Jesus. Uh, And we pray these things uh, in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, In the 1700s, there was a guy named Isaac Newton that you may all be familiar with. Uh, Who is Isaac Newton? Anybody know? No one, really. Y'all didn't pay attention at all, like in, in high school. What? Yeah, gravity, right? Like Isaac Newton is the guy, he's the first guy that we have on record who thought about the idea of gravity. Um, saw an apple fall from a tree and, and started thinking to himself, well, how's that actually happen? What is it that makes that happen, right? Um, and so we have the, the first kind of uh, idea and theory and thoughts about what gravity is, how everything is, it is grounded and held together and all of that. And then things develop over the years and we get around to the... Uh, um, to the, to the early 1900s, a guy named Albert Einstein comes along, and Einstein uh, develops for us uh, a little bit more about how gravity works that has to do with time and space and the movement around that and everything. And then things develop even more and more and, uh, and more, and we even get to the point uh, of where we're able to, to understand that gravity is actually what makes the universe hold up the way that it does as well, uh, as well too. Um, and, and it's just incredible when you, when you think about the things that, 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 that we have learned um, through science and about gravity. But the thing about gravity is, is that it is the thing that grounds everything, that holds everything in place. Everything in our universe is subject to it. Gravity is this all-encompassing 
reality that we live in. And what we've been doing together this year and going through the Bible is we have actually been looking at and studying the one who made gravity. That's what we've been doing. And so as we've been thinking about the scriptures together and the three, four, five together, what we've actually been thinking about is the all-encompassing reality that you and I and the world live in together. And so I want to spend a little bit of time this morning just kind of reviewing what we've been looking at together this year and thinking together about the three, four, five, but I'm going to flip it on us this morning. We're going to go five, four, three. And so the five threads that we've been thinking about together as we've been looking at the scriptures this year, one is this, that God has a people. He has always been building his church. Genesis 1, God is building his church. God is building his people. Evil is real, but it never gets the last word. It never gets the last word in your life, in my life. It does not get the last word in the world that we live in. That's one of the things that the book of Revelation is showing us and is, and is telling us. And the way we know that, thread three, grace. 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 God pursues. God changes. God saves. God responds to evil in the world by overcoming it with Jesus. He did it. He actually accomplished salvation. Jesus did not make us savable. Jesus saved us. He gave his life for ours. And the, the fifth thread, everything is moving toward Jesus. Revelation is definitely showing us everything is moving toward Jesus. So that's the five, four, the four-part story of Scripture that we've been thinking about together in 2020 of creation that God spoke everything into existence. Gravity exists because God says so, right? Spoke everything into existence, you and me, and, and made us in such a way that we bear His image in His world. And then he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, steward over everything else that I've made. But we messed that up. Rebellion also is real. We thought that we knew better than God. Adam and Eve thought that they knew better than God. And so rebellion is real. And it's messed everything up. It's messed everything up inside of us. It's messed everything up uh, in, in the world as well too. But God has not left us in our rebellion. Because redemption is bigger than our rebellion. And he's given us Jesus. He has responded to rebellion with his one and only son. Jesus. Redemption. And then restoration. Jesus has come. And Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, and when he comes again, he's going to make all things new, and he's going to bring heaven to earth, and we will dwell with our God forever. And then three loves. What we were made for. To love God, to love people, and to love place. From the very beginning, that's been the purpose of humanity. We were made to be in relationship with God, to love God, we owe our very existence and all of creation and all of the universe owes its very existence to the reality that God spoke it and it was done. 
We owe our existence to God. We were made for relationship with him to love God. He made us in such a way that he says, it's not good that man be alone. But let me make somebody for him to have a relationship with as well too. So we were made to love each other. To love people and to express the love that God has for us with one another. And we were also made to love place. That's not just some good idea that we came up with. That's exactly what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Because God tells Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill this earth that I put you on. And I want you to care for it. I want you to care for the place. I want you to love the place where I have put you. That's what we've been going through together this year, y'all. We've been going through that. That is, like gravity, it is the ultimate reality under which we understand everything in the world and everything in our lives. And that ultimate reality, that all-encompassing reality, would not be complete without the book of Revelation. That ultimate reality, creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration, demands the book of Revelation. Brokenness being fixed demands the book of Revelation. Our sin being forgiven demands the book of Revelation. We have to have it. Without it, we have an incomplete reality. And so that's what we come to this morning. We come to, to the book of Revelation and we come to our need for it and that the reality we live in demands that we have it. So let's think a little bit about the background coming into this book. So let's think a little bit about the first century and the first century church. And let's start with John. John, uh, the Apostle John, is the one who records this uh, for us. Now, we got introduced to John, well, we've been introduced to John before, but just a few weeks ago, we took a look um, at a letter that John uh, wrote to the church, and he actually wrote three letters to the church. Um, and what we found about that guy is a guy who's incredibly um, compassionate and gentle. I mean, Dave told, told a few stories about John, one of which where he just pursued this young man in love and wouldn't leave him cared. He's a pastor. He's coming towards the end of his life, and, uh, and Jesus gives him this, this revelation. And so, let's think a little bit about some of the things that are uh, not only pertain to John, but about the church uh, in the first century. Here's what's been going on in the church in the first century. One thing is this. The church has been growing. It's been growing. What Luke wrote in Acts 28 where he leaves off with Paul in prison, and the very last words that Luke pens in the book of Acts is that the gospel went forward, and it went forward without hindrance. The church is growing. People are coming to know Jesus. People are coming to grips with their own sin and their own need for Jesus. People are coming to grips with the reality that humanity is made to love God, love people, and love place. It is growing. Churches are being planted there are new churches everywhere. And so the church is growing. But not only that, the church is struggling too. I mean, First John just a few weeks ago, Jude last week, one of the things we see that's happening and going on inside the church in the first century is that there's false teaching going on. There's people within the church who are trying to lead other people astray and lead other people away from Jesus and away from 
uh, the gospel. So it's struggling in that regard. But it's also struggling in the regard that um, sin's real. Sin's real in my life and in your life. And it was real in the lives of the church in the first century as well, too. People were struggling with sin. Like, go back and read the book of 1 Corinthians. You'll see all kinds of stuff, right? Sexual immorality, greed, people are suing each other. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. And so the church is also struggling. It's growing, but it's struggling, and it's also going through some fairly intense persecution as well. You go back and you read the books of First and Second Peter, um, we know from other historical uh, works written around this time that the church was going through a great deal of, uh, of legitimate persecution. And what I mean by that is that the church was literally being threatened with violence because of what people believed. Uh, not long after this book is given to the Apostle John, uh, the Jerusalem would fall to the Roman government. And people in Jerusalem, some of the accounts would say hundreds, maybe even upwards of thousands per day were being crucified. People were like legitimately having to fear for their lives because of what they believed. Ultimately, the Roman Empire would also uh, give uh, emperors who would be so angry and hate the church so much that they would behead Christians and take their heads and put them on stakes and light them on fire to light up their gardens. Like they, they were going through real, genuine, intense persecution. That's what life is like in the first century as this book of Revelation comes to John and to Christ's church. And we can, we can identify with this, can't we? Right? Um, the church is growing. Let, let me put it this way to you. You are, we are evidence that the church has been growing throughout the centuries. Because let me tell you something, um, the church and the gospel didn't start in North America. Right? Like the fact that you and I are sitting in seats in eastern North Carolina in 2020 is evidence that the church has continued to grow. People have come to know Jesus. Christ's church has been built and it will continue to be built. And it will be built and built and built until Jesus comes again. And there's even evidence within our own body of that happening as well, too. If you guys were here last week, you, you know that Carrie and I made an announcement that we are being called to go and plant a church in Denver, Colorado. That is evidence that the church is growing. All right? We also know what it's like to struggle too, don't we? Like we struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. We, we, we struggle with, with, with believing the right things, following the Scriptures, staying committed to the Bible, like, we, we know what that's like as well, too. We know what it's like to struggle with sin as well, too. Like, sexual immorality hasn't gone away, y'all. Greed hasn't gone away, right? It's still there. And persecution. I think this is actually the one for us here in America in 2020 that's, the, 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 that's actually really the hardest thing for us to wrap our minds around because none of us has any idea whatsoever what it's like to have to fear for our lives because of what we believe. None of us does. Not like, not like the church in the first century. 
No, 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 not at all. Now, I'll tell you what, though, we've got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who know exactly what that's like. We have brothers and sisters who are, who are in China, who are in India, who are in other parts of the world who know what it's like to wake up every morning and have the fear that violence may be taken against them because of what they believe. All of these things are, are happening and are going on, and we can identify with What's going on for the church and the book, of, uh, the, the book of Revelation? And so Revelation comes in really as this, this incredible encouragement. An incredible encouragement to the church that gives us God's vision, God's plan, God's purpose, God's fulfillment for all of history in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Revelation is given to us as an encouragement to show us how our lives are connected to Jesus in every conceivable way possible. That our lives are moving toward Jesus in every conceivable way possible. And it's showing us how Jesus is moving us and everything else in all of history toward himself in every conceivable way possible. And it is begging us this question. It was begging the question of this church in the first century, and it's true for us here today. And this is the question for us as we're coming to this, is do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus in your sin? Do you see Jesus at home? Do you see Jesus growing his church? Do you see Jesus in the midst of brokenness and chaos? Do you see that everything is moving toward Jesus? And so that's the question that's being presented in the book of Revelation is do we see Jesus? And so let's scratch the surface a little bit here of Revelation 1, 1 through 8. Um, uh, We're not going to get to a ton of details within this. We are just going to be able to scratch the surface. But let's scratch the surface. Um, Do you see Jesus? The first thing that we see about this revelation is that this revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. That it is given to him by his Father. And so the first thing we see right off the bat, this is a revelation of Jesus. The Father has given Jesus this revelation, and Jesus is giving this revelation to John to give it to the church. So this revelation is from Jesus, is for the church. We can see that in verse 4. Like it literally says, like this is to be written to the seven churches, and then it will go on and, and it will name those churches. Um, but let me tell you a little something about numbers and the scriptures, because this is important. The number seven in the Bible, uh, more often than not, uh, rather than communicating like, an exact number of seven, it's actually communicating this idea of completeness and wholeness, okay? So when Revelation mentions the seven churches, yes, there are seven specific churches that are being written, written to here, but also it's meant to communicate this is for the church as a whole because seven is this complete number. So this revelation's from Jesus. It's for the church. See that in verse four. It's also for the world, You look at verse 7. 
Uh, you know, Jesus tells the Apostle John, pin this, behold, I'm coming. I'm bringing the clouds with me and every eye will see. Every eye is going to see what it is uh, that is coming, that Jesus is coming. And so it's not just for the church, it's also for everyone, for everyone to see and for everyone to hear and to take in this vision and this revelation that is from Jesus that's being given to John. And, and, and here's the thing about it. This vision is overwhelmingly glorious. It is overwhelmingly glorious. Uh, a couple of days from now, uh, Carrie and I will celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary together. And truthfully, y'all will probably need to remind us that that is our anniversary because we forget it every single year. So if you think about it in two days, text us, remind us that we got married 13 years ago on that day. Um, but 13 years ago, Carrie and I got married in, in, in a couple of days. And uh, on our wedding day, we kind of did some things sort of not traditional, out of order a little bit. Uh, like we didn't do the pictures after the wedding. We decided we want to do the pictures before we actually had the, uh, the, the wedding because we wanted to be able to get to uh, our reception where there was going to be um, pie and coffee and tea. That's what we did for, for our reception. We were excited about that um, and didn't want to miss that. So our photographer planned this moment in this time where, uh, where I would kind of come into the sanctuary, basically like come in through this door and stand up front, and I would get a chance to see Carrie. Um, coming, uh, coming from the back, and I remember, like, I remember everything about that day. But, 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 but something that's absolutely seared in my brain is when they opened up those doors, and uh, and there she was, and it was overwhelmingly glorious. I mean, it was just incredible. She was so beautiful. She still is. And it, and it brings you to this point of speechlessness, right? Like you don't have the words to express it. And yet at the same time, once she made her way down the aisle, I couldn't help but say something, right? Like I, had, I had to say something. And it was through tears and all of that and, and, and everything. But that's kind of the feel that you get from John right here. Which it kind of makes sense, right? Because this letter is being written to Christ's bride, Right? But that's the feel that you get here is that, that, that John is being rendered, he's got this vision, he's being rendered speechless, but he can't help but say something. And so that's why there's all these proclamations about, uh, about how God's loved us, how he's freed us, how we're forgiven of our sin, how he's the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come, and amen this and amen that. And it's just like, I got to get something out there. This is so incredible. This is so incredible that I'm speechless, but I've got to say something. And it's, um, you know, several pastors over the years, this is a cobbling together of many different statements that Dave and I were working on this past week to try and capture this idea of what's going on here with what John is, is writing. And, and it goes like this. When speaking about God, it's not so much that you or I or anyone can exhaustively speak of God, but that we dare not be silent. That's, like, that's the feel. That's the feel of what's going on here. It's overwhelmingly glorious. And look, 
I'm going to read this to us again just so we can take this in together again. I'm going to, let's look at the second half of verse 4. Hear this. Hear how glorious this is. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before this throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to Him who loves us. He's freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, overwhelmingly Glorious. Overwhelmingly glorious. And, and, and just for a few moments, I want to spend a little bit of time on seeing how it's overwhelmingly glorious. It's overwhelmingly glorious first in showing us who God is. This is a revelation from Jesus given to him by the Father, given to John to give to the church through the seven spirits. So here's the first thing about who God is, deeply Trinitarian. Deeply Trinitarian. This overwhelmingly glorious message and vision that we have is deeply Trinitarian. It comes from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Remember the number seven. Complete, whole. It's talking about the Holy Spirit there that's being given to us. Incredibly, incredibly Trinitarian. Second thing is this. That it communicates to us. It's overwhelmingly glorious in showing us that God is the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and on into the new heavens and the new earth. Well, how do we see that? Verses 4 and verse 7 both repeat the same thing, that this God who's giving us this revelation is the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. Do you know what's happening there? That language is hearkening all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 where this guy named Moses comes to a bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And Moses looks at God there. He says, God, who am I supposed to tell sending me? And God looks at him and says, you tell them that I am is sending you. I am is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. The God of Exodus is the same God of Revelation. It's the same story. It's the same God. God is the same. And you, we'll even get to see this even more throughout the book of Revelation because we'll see how the book of Revelation is deeply connected to the Old Testament prophets. Uh, as well, too. And even in this, even in some of this, the imagery from Daniel and Zechariah and Isaiah is being drawn on, but God is the same. And the other thing that's overwhelmingly glorious about who God is, is verse 5. Fully loving, fully freeing. Fully loving and fully freeing. He, he fully loves us and He fully frees us by giving us His Son that we have Jesus. God has responded to rebellion. God has brought redemption. He's the one who has done it. And Jesus has purchased forgiveness with his blood. That's who God is. And Jesus 
like showing us fully God's love and God's freedom brings us to the second thing that's overwhelmingly glorious about, uh, about this passage and about this book, and that's God's message itself. And what's God's message? God's message is good news, beloved. <laughs> Verse 5 tells us that we are sinful, and we need forgiveness from sin. And that Jesus has come, and with his very own blood, he has purchased that forgiveness for our sin. This is good news. God's message is a message of good news. The book of Revelation will go on to show us how good that news is because the curse will be undone. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Sin will be no more. Brokenness will be no more. That's the good news. That's the message of God. That you and I can have forgiveness and be made right with God because of what Jesus has done. That is good news. Because the truth is, we're pretty messed up. We like to go at things our own way. We like to live life by our terms. We don't like listening to anyone else, much less God. And so we need God to intervene and by His grace change our hearts and draw us to Him through His love and show us that He is freeing us fully in Jesus and what Jesus has done. And so that message is a message of good news that you and I, we really, really, really need. And that good news also carries with it, verse 7 shows us, a warning as well to you. It carries with it a warning. And here's the warning. Jesus is coming, and when He comes, He is going to bring all things into judgment. And so the warning is this. Are you found in Jesus? Have you embraced the good news? Have I embraced the good news? Has that become our good news for our, for our own hearts. Because there is a judgment that is coming. And if you and I have not embraced the good news of the gospel, then that judgment comes to us. But if we've embraced the gospel, Jesus stands in the gap and absorbs the judgment that is due for our sin for us and gives us life. But there is a warning that comes with this good news. And that is, is that justice is coming. And if you're here this morning and, 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 and you really like, have thought a lot about that and a lot about justice and a lot about things being made right and everything, like, you need to know like, that, is, that is a core part of the story of God. That He's going to make everything right. And he's going to free his people to be who we were really made to be. To love God, to love each other, and to love the place where he is, is putting us. But there is a warning that comes with it. If you haven't embraced this good news, judgment is coming. And so it begs the question, do you see Jesus? Right? Do I see Jesus? Do we see Jesus? Do we see our need for Jesus? And if you're here this morning and you haven't embraced that good news, 
I would encourage you, take some time and really try to be genuinely honest with yourself. Genuinely honest. You, have, you ever, you, have you really never wronged anybody? In thought, in word, in action? Have, have, you, like, have you really, like, you don't think that there's any level of accountability for your life? We just don't even live that way, y'all. And so I'd encourage you that if you haven't embraced it, like really spend some time genuinely trying to be honest with yourself about your, about your life. We all need to do that. We should all be doing that. The message is the same for every single one of us. So it's overwhelmingly glorious message of good news and it does come also with a warning, but here's what the warning is supposed to do. The warning is supposed to drive us to the good news. Don't run away from the warning. Run to Jesus. Okay, so uh, an overwhelmingly glorious message, uh, overwhelmingly glorious who God is, and it's overwhelmingly glorious in showing us God's mission. Jesus is coming, and he is going to make all things new. That's what's happening. That is the ultimate reality that you and I are living in. Jesus is coming and he is going to make all things new. And what that means is that when he does, you and I, if we are found in Jesus, we've embraced the gospel, we will be freed to be who we were made to be, to love God, to love people, and to love the place where God has put us. And so we... God's people are called to be a part of this mission that he has. And what our participation looks like in this mission is to be those who are proclaiming the good news. Who are proclaiming that Jesus is coming to make all things new and to make all things right. Like that's what our participation is. Is to be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel that yes, this world that we live in is broken incredibly. I mean, we're all sitting here with masks on our face, right? This world is, is sinful, and you and I contribute greatly to that brokenness and to that sinfulness, and we need forgiveness. And God is the kind of God that offers us full love and full freedom by giving us Jesus, who lays down his life for us, and he covers our sin with his blood. And so we proclaim that good news. That's our participation in the mission of God. But here's the rub. I don't know about you, but I know myself, I'm so quick to forget my need for the message. I'm so, it is so easy to forget that I constantly need the good news of the gospel. It's so easy for me to forget that that warning is for me too. It's so easy for me to forget that the warning that judgment is coming is supposed to be something that shapes my life to move me toward Jesus and to submit everything that I am and everything that I have in every conceivable way to Jesus. And what happens when we forget our need for the gospel is that we very quickly turn ourselves into the judge. 
and this message of good news, but warning that judgment is coming, what we miss is that it's very clear that that judgment is God's, that it doesn't belong to us. But we forget that. And when we forget the gospel, we forget that, and then we become the ones who are the judge. And that can look very obvious, but most of the time, I think, is more subtle. Most of the time, it looks more like, like this. I mean, I'm bad, and I need Jesus, but I'm not as bad as that person over there. Right? Like, we even use the gospel to hedge our own justification, don't we? for being better than others. Oftentimes it's more subtle. Oftentimes the way it expresses itself is just in a, a low-level critical spirit about everything. It expresses itself in judgmentalism. It expresses itself in just being like constantly on edge and angry, hostile towards anyone that may not think the same thing that we do, that may disagree with us. All of those things are evidence that we forget our own need for the gospel. And that's, that's the rub. That judgment ultimately belongs to God. What we are supposed to see is our own need for the gospel and to be those that proclaim that out of that need. We are a needy people. We never get past needing Jesus we always, always, always need Jesus. And then what happens is that God starts working that into us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And what happens is that that critical spirit slowly begins to turn into humility. That, that judgmentalism slowly begins to turn into compassion. Uh, anger. Uh, begins to turn into mercy. Uh, hostility begins to turn into empathy. Uh, the, the incessant need to be right all the time about everything moves into an understanding and a perspective that I don't, I don't have any idea what this person across from me that I disagree with so much has been through in their life. So how in the world should I have the space to be able to judge them? God moves us towards these things away from hostility and a critical spirit and anger and judgmentalism. It moves us towards really Jesus No one was more compassionate than our Savior. No one had more humility than Jesus. No one expressed mercy the way Jesus expresses mercy. No one empathized with people like Jesus empathizes with you and me. And everyone else. And so this, this overwhelmingly glorious vision that we, that we receive here shows us who God is, God's message, and God's mission. And it begs the question, do you see Jesus? Do I see Jesus? Do we see Jesus? Do you see Jesus 
when you're getting really heated at your spouse? Do you see Jesus when you've gone to the computer to look at that thing again for the umpteenth time and you just can't seem to get past it? Do you see Jesus there? Do we see Jesus there? When it becomes so easy to be disobedient, young people, to our parents, do we see Jesus there? Parents, when it becomes so easy to just take out your anger on your kids, do you see Jesus there? Do we see Jesus? Revelation is begging that question of us. And what it's showing us is that our Christ is glorious. And that He's coming. And when He comes again, He is going to make everything new. The tears will be wiped away from our eyes. Sin will be ripped out from the roots. And our God will bring heaven to earth. And we will dwell with Him together. 